Okay. Without further ado. Actually, let me start like this. Hi, my name is Akira Jamfi, founder of the British Blacklist. Thank you. Thank you all so much for being here. Um, the whole ethos of bringing you guys together is making sure that we're connected because sometimes doing this work in this industry, you can feel isolated. You don't know who else is going through what you're going through. And it's important that you know everybody in the room. It's important that we have, we reach out and touch each other because we need to know this industry is hard, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. And the person that I'm introducing is proving that with the phenomenal film, The Harder They Thought. Please put your hands together for the amazing James Samuel. I ain't that amazing. Keep clapping, keep clapping, keep clapping, keep clapping. Peace, black kings and queens. What's cracking? Peace to the gods. Okay, so how we're going to do this, I don't want to take up too much time because really I want you guys to get the chance to ask James all the questions. Don't ask him what you had for breakfast. Think about your question, please. Um, this is your chance to really pick the brains of someone who's done it. Um, and yeah, that's it. So I'll come to you very soon. James, how are you feeling? Golden. Good. <laughs> Always. Um, you know, the harder they fall, man. It's hard, right? Yeah, it's actually banging. I was saying to you out in the room that Usually, there are a few people who be like, mm, I didn't really like it, you know. But actually, on God, on everything, I haven't heard one person say, I don't like this film. How did you do this and make a film that everybody likes? Yeah, you, you know, yeah, I always say when you create, you have to obey your crazy, right? Like there's a crazy voice inside you that, it's almost like the older you get, the more you're trained by other people to believe that you can't do what it is you set out to do. Um, uh, you'll have all of these ideas and people just dampen them, right? But I come from Howard Road. Like, I, I'd, never let, I'd never let anyone anyone dampen my ideas. And I always say, I've said this since I, since I was a kid, obey your crazy, obey your crazy. Like, whenever you're creating, all of those ideas and all those instincts that you have, they're there for, for a reason. And especially like when you're making a when you're making a film, if you feel something, millions of other people feel it, would feel it as well. So, for me, we've been uh, so erased mm -hmm. from this genre and and from movies in general. You know, a few years ago, I watched um, a film called Noah, with Darren by directed by Darren Aronofsky. This is a crazy crazy film. It has like Russell Crowe in it and um, what's his name from the UK, Ray Winston, and you know the story of Noah's Ark. And they took it back to the Bible, right? And God says he wants two of everything. They got two of all different humans in there and snakes, the snakes running. And they put like all the special effects in it and this and that and the other. And there wasn't one black person in the whole movie. It's like God said, bring me two of every single creature on earth except Negroes. This dish is deep. So we've been so erased that when I came in like in order for for me to put us back front and center in something, I had to go hard. All of the sounds in my brain, all of the I had to, all of the shots, I had to go hard. Like I'm not taking my foot off the gas for anything. I'm taking a flamethrower to this place, and um and that's just okay. You know, that's it's a long-winded answer, but just obey your crazy. I hear that. Um, it took you 15 years in so much to get what. What kept that faith driving you to continue? Because 15 years is long, and I don't think people really understand what goes into getting having the idea yeah. and for it to come to fruition. Yeah. There's a bit in between that no one understands. Yeah. And you, in, our, in our junket that we had with you, you said it was um, it turned you on. It was an adventure for you. Yeah. You turned the stress and stress of those many years into an adventure. Yeah. How the hell did you do that? Because that's the whole the whole thing, right? From conception to creation of anything, right? You could be trying to make glue from the moment you have an idea to the uh to the minute the idea is executed that space in between is what turns everyone off i remember when i was at school like, i have an idea like oh here's what we're gonna do and getting it done is what turns everyone off that's what turns me on it's the adventure man like the film that you release the film that that's made is literally just a diary of everything you went through to get it to get it done so i had the idea for this on kilburn lane i was like I'm making a western. 
What, okay, so hold on, sorry, no, wait. What was it on Kilburn Lane <laughs> that inspired Western? You know what it is? Like, the, firstly, like the world, I believe that everyone you're gonna meet, like people say Jay-Z and this and that, and that but I believe everyone you're gonna meet in life, every single person you're gonna meet in life, you met a version of when you was at school. Every single person, man, like, I don't care if it's Jeff Bezos. I know you, at school, you were William. Man. Like, every single person you're gonna meet in life, you, you, you've met a version of. And on Kil like London is mad cosmopolitan, so you just get the Indian man in a store, the Asian, the Chinese man that lives next door to you, the, the, like everyone's just kind of, and then, and then we get everything on TV from EastEnders to cowboy movies, and I don't know what I was talking about one day, but it was about 15 years ago, and I had the idea, I'm gonna make, make a Western. I was with my dude Tony, I was like really? How are you gonna put it together? Nah, I don't know who's gonna be in it. Everyone, Tony. Everyone. And then I then I made this short film yeah. called They Die by Dawn. And I put everyone in that. What year was that? That was like I wrote it in two thousand and eleven. I shot it in two thousand and twelve. Okay. I put everyone in that and I would just take planes to people's houses. Cause if I have an idea, whoever I think of should that should be in that idea has not got one of these in their collection. So 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 if I'm thinking like, okay, I'm making a Western and everyone's in it. Everyone I speak to, no one has got one of these in their collection where, where these black G's are galloping towards a train. You hear Barrington Levy, still ain't got one of these in your collection. This don't exist. So it gives you even more swag and strength when you're speaking to these people. Look, and here's what I'm going to do. And the camera angles and the this and the that and the other. So I must have had it. I must have had the idea. I'd say 15, 15 years ago, and then I made like a proof, They Die By Dawn is like a proof of concept. But proof of concept, like to the world, just to show people that we did exist in that space of time, we'll get into it. And then, and then um, you don't realize all those years are going past when you're just putting it all together and then you're connecting with Hove and connecting with this person, and James Laston, Lawrence Bender and all of these people. You don't realize all of these years are going past. And quite frankly, you don't care. You just know that you're doing this. You're doing this thing. What would what? Hope's got a line. I drove by the fork in the road, and went straight. There's mad forks in the road, mm -hmm. and you just have to keep, keep going straight toward the destination that you that you set yourself. And if you're really gonna do it, and you're really serious about doing it, the universe conspires to help. It puts all these things. Everyone's got those signs, and it puts all these mm -hmm. things in your way to get this done. People just don't realize it, and then they lose faith in themselves. But never lose faith faith in yourself the hardest fight you're ever going to have in life is to get into your to permeate what do they call it your mum's egg and get into your mum's wood it's like a million sperm trying to <laughs> trying to do that tish and i won you telling me i can't make this movie <laughs> Very see your energy is different man and i can't imagine anyone not speaking to me like yeah whatever you say i'm riding with you however what was it difficult convincing people like Yes, it's a black western. Bear with me. This is my story. Was it easy? And um, was it easy? It wasn't easy. But you didn't care. It was easier than growing up on Mozart Estate. I hear you. <laughs> like it wasn't. It was like nothing's easy. But that's the if it was easy, it wouldn't be an adventure, mm. right? Nothing's nothing's easy. But that's why we. That's why we're here. What was the clicking moment when people were like, "I, right, we're with you. We get it." Was it the proof? Everyone, of concept? You, you know what, like. Great artists want to make great art. Mm. So everyone that I was speaking to, actors-wise, they'll always buy into it. Then it's like studios that you have to convince. And you know, I'm not in the habit of pitching. I hate, ex two things I hate, pitching and explaining myself. Like, I'm just not in the habit of, of doing that. Like the tish I'm doing is hard as hell, like it's wicked. My background is in both music and film. When I make music, it's wicked. Like, I was producing J Electronic, like it's wicked. wicked. I'm not, I'm good in, in that regard. Like I'm, like I remember Cannabis, the rapper. He said, uh, "You can catch me on some rah rah puffing la la." Iggers that know we would tell you I'm nice with the blah blah blah. I'm nice with the blah blah blah. Like I'm good, at, I'm good, I'm good at what I do, right? So when I'm speaking to another artist, they're always in Idris. I know Idris for, I know Idris from Road. Like I know Idris for a hundred years. So he was always a part of it. There was no part, there was no version of this movie where Idris Elba wasn't gonna um, act in it. Hove, 
I remember one time speaking to Hov and I was like, man, I'm not even talking about the harder they fall no more. He was like, what you, what you mean? Like, we still doing it, right? I'm like, yeah, but you ain't spoken about it. Like, because I thought we're doing it. We both having a, having a, okay, so we're doing it. He's like, that's what I'm telling you. Like, we, we doing it. I'm like, okay, cool. We're doing it then. But then, but then it's like the studios and the this and that and the other. And you have meetings with all these studios and people would try to throw you off your path, right? Happens all the time. There's a studio called um, Ambi Studios and there's uh, the man that owns it, he's a good friend of mine, which is why I'm going to say his name because I've been doing this, these interviews talking about this particular thing that would happen to everyone here. And I never say his name, but I'm going to say his name because he could talk about it. He'll talk to it. His name's Andrea Yevalino. Right, and he owns this company called Ambi Studios, and they make a lot of films, right? And they own like catalogs, like like Mel Gibson's catalog. They own it for Europe, and he does a lot of things. There's a distribution deal with Open Road Studios, and he's Italian. He said to me in 2017, he said, "He went, James, he calls me bro, bro. You are never going to make this movie. Uh, what? We were in uh, Claridge's." You are never going to make this movie. A little audacious. Why? Well, it's too big. It's too big. Now, ordinarily, I would take offense to that type of um, dialogue. Don't seal in my ambitions with your own limitations. But he proceeded to do something that people don't do. He said, look, I give you five million. I mean, I can do five mil. <laughs> but I give you five mil. Make something small. You make something small. If that's successful, I give you another five mil. You make another thing. And the after then, maybe your third, maybe your fourth movie, if you have success, you, you, you make another thing. And then you make the die by dollar. Now it's too big. You will never make this movie. And I looked at him. Aside of me, wanted to slap him. Because I'm from Harrow Road. It's actually your go-to, right? <laughs> right? Even though we don't do that no more, we're all grown up. But you know your go-to, like, what did you say? <laughs> and then, but then I was thinking of that five mil. Five mil, it's five mil. And I thought, hey, for a split second, I forgot I was James Samuel, the black god. I swear to God. I was going to take that five mil. I wouldn't have even made nothing. I would just take that five mil and bounce to the Bahamas. And then, and, then, and then I looked at him and I was like, look, man, here's the thing. And what I'm about to say, I honestly mean it with my hand on my heart. Human beings' biggest flaw, we all have this flaw, I'm about to say, in, in this room, right? And the minute you erase this flaw, you realize who you are. Our biggest flaw is as soon as something is given a name, it's no longer magic. Watch this. That's not magic. That's FaceTime. What? Explain FaceTime to someone 15 years ago. That's not magic. It's infrared. What? What? It's a creature jumping out of my phone and turning over the channel. That's not magic. It's Bluetooth. Okay, if it's, if it's not magic and it's Bluetooth, you do it. You switch on that projector without touching it. But there's this thing, Nikola Tesla was teaching us about the force. There's these things that we can't see. and It's magic. There's magic all around us. We live. We breathe. Every single person in this room, their parents met once upon a time, had sex, and then we were born. Like, it's all magic. It's literally all magic. But because it's given a title, we no longer think it's magic. When we all have kids and our kids grow up and they teleport from one place to another, <gasps> that's not magic, Daddy. That's the iPod. It just, I just jumped... In it, that tish is magic. Okay, just because my name's James Samuel, it don't mean I'm not magic. Because you know me, you think I'm you. I'm nothing like you. You can never go through what I've gone through. You can never uh, understand what I understand. You can never see the world how I see the world. Do not tell me I can't make the harder they fall as my debut movie. I understand. It's a $90 million blockbuster for intents and purposes. But whatever the budget is, it ain't a bigger budget than my headspace. It ain't a bigger budget than my ambitions. It ain't a bigger budget than me as a human being. So don't let anybody see your ambitions. And, and incidentally, 
the trailer was dropping 6 a.m. on a on I can't remember what day. It was like a Monday. The trailer was dropping 6 a.m. I'll be quick. And in LA, 6 a.m. LA time. So it's like 9 a.m. in New York, 5 p.m. Uh, or or 3 p.m. in the UK. And I couldn't sleep the day before the trailer was was coming out. Not because I was excited that the trailer was coming out. The initial trailer when you first saw Regina King and the whole of Idris walking off the train. Bam, 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 bam. It wasn't because of that. It's because I needed to text Andrea. <laughs> and at 5 a.m., I, I swear to God, at 5 a.m., one hour, one hour before the, the teaser dropped, one hour before the teaser dropped, to the minute, I went, bro, text, bro, text, bro, bro. Bro, 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 I'm not stopping these bros until he answers back, bro. I haven't spoken to him in like three years, four years. Bro, and he went, bro. I went, and I said in my voice now, you are never going to make this movie. You are never going to make it. Do something small. Maybe your first, second, third, fourth. He sounds like the counts from, from um, Sesame Street. One, two, three. I was like, and then I just told him, you know how, how good it feels to tell someone, not check your email, not check your text, not check YouTube. I swear to God, as I stand here, I went, check the internet in one hour. Check the internet. Because you know that Tish is going to be all over the planet. In one hour, he me back, bro, you did it. I don't understand. You are the best. <laughs> so don't let anybody seal in your ambitions with their limitations, man. I'm telling you, you have your, your drive. If you have drive, you have ability you have an idea and you have a destination, everything else is just noise. It's A-list actors, it's this, it's the budget, it's all noise, it's all noise. As soon as you dare to walk towards it, you um, achieve what it, whatever it is you set yourself out to. Look how much drama we experience on a daily level, from the police, from the this, from racism, from this, that and the other, we're all still here, swagged out like black gods. How can we not be able to make the heart of a fall, really? Trust. Okay, guys. Um, yeah, guys, get your questions together, man. <laughs> Just raise your hand. I think we've got a Roman. Have we got a Roman mic? Thank you. The wonderful Imogen will come to you with them with the mic, but please Thank raise you, your hand. Clear. And when you do ask your question, please say your name and just say what you do. Just not a whole paragraph. Just say what you do quickly, <laughs> so we know what we're dealing with. And don't be sh don't be don't shy. Don't be shy either. either. Stand. <laughs> yeah, stand, stand. So we can see you. Don't be we shy. No see. one can be shy here. Go, Delia. Go, Delia. Hi, um, I'm Delia Renee. I'm a writer, producer, fellow Harry Road person Easy, as well. Delia, so <laughs> I just wanted to say about um, what I loved was the integration of music with obviously this, um, the film. So how did you consult and what did you do? Did you kind of know in beforehand what you wanted to do or did you kind of have an idea or you had a music supervisor? Because you said you did music as well. So was it easy for you to kind of fuse all your talents together in order to put How Do They Fall? composed the entire score for the movie and I wrote and produced thank you and I, I wrote and produced the entire soundtrack right the entire soundtrack so when you hear like coffee singing all up your lighter and cut me from how road flaming out of the air fire holler from the top of a mountain and I like the second verse as well when I you know what like I do what I do and I keep it moving but when I listen to the second verse of um of the hard day for like oh I am a black god though how could the guy how could, I'm just speaking to my people. I go, that's the only time I go, how could that guy write that verse and direct that movie? Fire for bond, Mr. Man, we are not time to play. You love a woman till her night and they send them come. Uh, they know each other right away. Me love you like me love me. We are slime, dress pretty, pretty. Still me a walk, nitty gritty. Round up the woman committee and ride for him city. The two are we are free like bird. It's better they listen my word when I sing. Hold up your light. The person that does that ain't supposed to... Ain't supposed to write and direct the harder they fall. Like, come on, man. Like, the dude, the dude is a G. Okay, so watch this. For me, music and film are the exact same thing, right? You get three acts in a script. You get three acts. You get three verses in a in a three acts in a song. Two verses, and and as I'm writing the as I'm writing the the dialogue and writing the screenplay, I'm also writing the score. So I hear all the motifs with the dialogue. So there's no such thing as as um, absence of melody. If you say one thing, if you say one thing, la 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 la, everything is is melodic. 
And the English accent is hard to find melody in, but American accent is easy to find melody in. Or uh, I'm, I'm my parents Nigerian, right? And Vincentian. So my my dad would go would go um uh when I'm teaching people how to do like the Yoruba accent, I'll say la la. Watch this. La la la. La la la. La la. La la. La 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 la la. Go and bring chicken for uncle. Right. Like, go and bring chicken. Everything, everything's melody. So as I'm writing the script, I'm also hearing hearing uh, the melody. In the opening sequence, you hear folk song. Three and thirty years I tried To forget all the tears I cried And one who knew me long ago Appeared upon my lonely road And all of this is in the script. Rufus Buck pulls his guns out. Warning me of trouble soon and talking me of pending doom. And all at once he disappeared. No, and left me in a tomb of bang, 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 bang. I hear it like they're all the same uh, uh, thing for me. And when it's not words, it's melody. So I would take things like, I wanted to give this film its own signature. So I'll go to dub, right? Yeah. So you'll hear, I'll put like orchestral on dub. So So where you hear like a, a, when there's a deep sea, every time we go to Redwood, you hear dub, right? You hear like, Wally Esco, Rufus Buck. I'd literally sketch out the whole thing. Now, we have voice notes in our iPhone. So this dish is mad easy. It's not like in the days of uh, Beethoven. I write music and I can notate, right? But I've also got my phone right there. So I'll be writing and I'll be like, okay, here's the bass line. Then I'll pick up my electric guitar and find the chord. And then I might stop writing and go and record something, lay something down quickly. But the two of them swim in and out of each other. It's one it's one consistent song. I know that's a long, long answer. No, no, no. It makes sense because you've, you've basically written a song and a film together. So it's kind of a fusion of both. And that's what I think I liked was that you could hear, one, your culture and where you came from through yeah. it. But you also stay true to the characters and where we were yeah. and making them authentic as well. So when we first hear the dub and they're on the horses and, and you're hearing the scat, yeah. we were all gassed because I was like, yeah, I feel their energy exactly. as well. So that, Exactly. And how that music hasn't met Hollywood before is crazy yeah. to me. Like it's crazy, but then we didn't exist, but now we exist, so we can actually bring we can bring fella to, you know what I mean? To, to the to the thing. Yeah, it was dope, but yeah, thanks for Harry Rose. I'm gas. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I'll see you at DJ's. Hands up, yeah. <laughs> hands up high, please. Yes, man. Hi everyone, I'm Kwame Augustine. I'm an actor writer. First of all, first of all, I want to say the movie is incredible, and some of the shots, my goodness. Thank you, brother. There was one particular shot which stuck in my mind. I was at the cinema, I watched it last week, and I think it was Cherokee Bill, the Keith's um, character. Yeah. And it's, they're, they're doing a face-off, but then you're using the shadow to tell the story. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, hard. <laughs> hard, hard. Super hard. I nearly ran out of the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> Super hard. And you didn't dwell on it too long, so you just showed it and it just kept it moving, which yeah. was brilliant. Yeah. I wanted to ask, was there anything that didn't go to plan that you kind of change the story on set any shots any yeah yeah and it's what was in particular that stood out for you She's like do you know what this wasn't going my way but we're gonna do this on the fly oh yeah no nah, absolutely um one to, to, to answer the, the first thing which wasn't a question that's nothing about obeying you're crazy like when you're storyboarding right when you're st if you storyboard then you could see the movie before because some people don't storyboard i love storyboarding because i want to see the whole movie right before i start filming and then, then I know whether the movie's going to be wicked or not. Like, I would see the whole movie, because I, I drew the whole thing out. So mm -hmm. all of those shots, remember on the train, when Lakeith goes, when Cherokee Bill goes, uh, put your gun down or we kill everybody on this train. I said, put your gun down. Boom. And all the guns come out behind him. Like, like a caterpillar, all the guns come out behind him. All of those things are mapped out in, in, in my boards. And I have fun. Like, like I hate like films that just point and shoot. The camera tells the story. If your camera's just gonna be there and just yeah. looking, there's no point in in there being a 
be in a camera. I want that camera to dance with. This. I want the camera's accent and the the camera's voice to be to be heard, which is why which is why I do that um thing. But here's the thing: when you're making a film, right, you learn about this thing called Murphy's Law, right? They say whatever could go wrong will go wrong. Mm. But I tell people every day, man, Murphy caught COVID and died. <laughs> COVID is a whole new what we call wahala. Mm-hmm. in Nigeria. COVID is a whole new wahala. Like that, Tish, the coronavirus. So now you're making, imagine how excited I am to make my debut movie. And then the day before we're meant to film, this worldwide pandemic happens. Mm. People are literally dying. You can't even trust your sister. Mm. <laughs> Where you been though? <laughs> like you have to speak to your mum. You have to speak to your mum wearing a mask because you don't want to kill your mum. Like the thing is crazy. So we shut down. We thought there wasn't going to be a, a movie. I didn't because I've come too far. I'm making the heart of a fall. Come COVID or actual aliens from Mars. Mm. You lot have to have to stop attacking the Earth for 12 weeks. <laughs> I got to shoot a movie. Kill us after. So the scene where Mary's kidnapped, peep this, in the night, when Mary's kidnapped, she's thrown on the ground. Uh, uh, leave her ass outside. Nobody comes pick her. Pick her, get her before sun up, kill her. Put a bullet in, the, in her head. Uh, uh, Trudy Smith. And then you see Nat Love and them come into town. This is how crazy the shoot was. Firstly, imagine now you're shooting the debut movie and you're super excited. And then the, now you have to shoot it wearing a face mask, goggles, and a face shield. And you're told you can't come closer than six feet to any actor. What the hell? How am I meant to direct? It's like directing an astronaut costume. But for me, I'm like, look, man, I come too far. Show me the parameters. Tell me the rules. And let me go make my movie, man. So that scene, Rufus Buck was meant to meet Nat Love. In that scene, in the night, when he goes, where's your boss? Rufus was meant to come out of the saloon. Okay. But every time we did a saloon scene, there was a crowd, right? And every time there was a crowd, someone tested positive. So watch this. We're all on set, in uniform. I've rehearsed, and I'm feeling like a G. Regina's there, and it's the first scene where both the gangs meet. So I've got all of the actors, because like two movies going on at once. Then I've got all the actors in one place at one time. And just as I'm about to yell action, G-Mac, my line producer, calls me to the side. James, 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 we got to shut down. What? <laughs> Somebody tested positive. I went, who? Anyone here? They went, no, someone yesterday. So we have to do contact tracing. Wait, Idris leaves tomorrow. This is his last day. He leaves for Australia tomorrow to shoot a movie with George Miller. This is his last day. Give me 10 minutes. I just need one shot. We can't, James. Someone's tested positive. Okay, but we've just been all near each other. So someone's got it. We all got it. No one's going to catch it more in 10 minutes. He was like, no, James. I was like, That's not the way COVID works. i like, well, COVID needs to give me a 10-minute break. Because I got to shoot Idris. I was getting proper rago. Like, you know when you start? But I'm shooting then. Netflix has to shut me down. I'm shooting. I need to shoot, shoot Idris. James, we have to shut down. Uh, does anyone here want to shut down? I'm like, no. But we have to shut down, James. So your brain goes, okay, if I say move, I'm filming, who's going to stop me? But then you can't because now you're a professional in the industry. <laughs> it's such a drag being a grown-up. So I had to rewrite. Everyone went home. I didn't even make a, f- make a fuss when I knew there was no way out. There's no problems, just alternate solutions, even if the problem is COVID. So I went home, rewrote the scene, and then I thought about it. And I thought, Kwame, that was not the best way to introduce Idris. The best way to introduce Rufus Buck to Nat Love is what I've already shot, the jail sequence. He should meet Nat Love with his hands up. And all I needed to add was a whistle. When he walks in. And he's whistling the song that Nat sings to Mary. How does he know it? Maybe his dad used to sing it to his mum. 
have you ever heard of Napoleon? And I knew I had the scene. And Idris went, I feel bad, James, man. I mean, you know what, Idris? I shouldn't even tell you this. But I got the scene, man. I finished. We wrapped. You're wrapped. Nah, James, you're just saying that, man. Like, look, James, I'll work it out. I'll stay. Driss, we have to shut down. We're not shutting down for a day. You have to shut down for 10 days, two weeks, for the COVID stuff to clear and the contact trick. It's madness. And it turned out it was a false positive. The person oh, didn't even no. have come. The whole thing is madness. No, no, no. no. <sighs> You're making me relive it, Kwame. It. I actually hate your guts. <laughs> and then, and then, but he's a black god, so you know, you have to give him a blight. So, so it just made you rethink, and that would happen all the time. You just have to rethink and chop and change. But if you remember, there's no problems, just alternate solutions. And whatever you're gonna do is gonna turn out dope. Then you just rely on your own ingenuity and creativity. And also, it is better Idris meeting him in the jail than on the street. On the street, that's anti-climax. You should meet Nat Love when he wants to do something and he can't do nothing. So that was COVID that directed that scene. Thank you. Um, yes, go ahead. How's it going? Nice to meet you. I'm Gerald. Peace, Gerald. Nice to meet you. I'm a director, writer, producer. I do a lot of branded content. Currently working like a on a G. film called uh, The Last Night, which I'd love to tell you more about. I really love the, the line, what are you waiting for? You think destiny's coming to you? From Mary Fields. I thought that was dope. Love the film. Um, what I wanted to ask really was, in terms of your challenges, did the budget affect your ideas? Um, and then secondly, there's a lot of Easter eggs. What was your favorite one? There's mad Easter eggs in that film. There's Easter eggs that people don't um, don't know yet. So I can't really say, because they have to uncover them. But I'll tell you where one is. When Cherokee Bill gets shot, that song that plays, there's a huge Basilo singing. There's a huge Easter egg in there. It's a huge Easter egg, but you have to look at the lyrics and study the lyrics and you'll see what the Easter egg is. But it lends itself to the entire film. It's a deep, deep, deep thing. So I'd say, probably that's my favorite one, Chadwick Boseman on the side of the train, like a black god. There's mad Easter eggs in there. There's one that comes out of Beckwith. I won't say what it is though, but the whole world will see soon when I, I make this announcement. What was your first question? The, the budget, first budget yeah, the the budget was, I mean, that's the thing with Netflix, man. Netflix is awesome. They literally got behind the movie. I don't think another studio would have made the movie. And I think that if it was another studio and they agreed to make the movie, in COVID, they would have just shut us down. But Netflix are this maverick kind of studio. When I had the, the idea for this movie, Netflix was still sending us DVDs in the post. Remember, they, it was them and Love yeah. Film. They used to, used to rent DVDs. And I never gave none of them DVDs back. I had like six. <laughs> and they canceled, they canceled my account. Then gave me 90 million. That's a good, good year if you have me. So, so I would say this. I would say, like, um, when we broke up for COVID, you remember I say, obey, you're crazy. All right, I had this idea. When they go for the bank robbery, the white town is all white. But that wasn't in the script. So I got a call. I went, I want everything white. My production designer, who's a G, Martin Whist, he went, what do you mean? What about the ground? I was like, even the ground, Martin. He went, what about the horse? Even the horses. Everything white in that town. So you spin racism on its head. Immediately when you think black, you think people. Immediately when you think white, you think people. I wanted to crack a big joke there with just words on the screen. And everyone starts laughing. Maysville, it's a white town and the whole town is white. As opposed to it being actually about the people. But I got a call from um, Kwame Parker at Netflix, who is a G. And all these people were riding with me. He went... You know, James, I think like um, your appetite has grown a little bit over COVID. <laughs> and my appetite ain't grown. My appetite ain't grown, Kwame. He went, no, no, but it has grown, James. Like the white town. No, it ain't grown, Kwame. That's actually swagged out. The white town and leave the town because the budget was growing through the roof. The ninety millions, not what we start with, is much lower. And and then Kwame went, James, your appetite has grown. He went, white horses, James. White horses? I was like, Kwame. He went, there ain't no white horses in New Mexico. I said, Kwame, I didn't say I want New Mexican white horses. I just want white horses. You could ship them in from Brighton, for all I care. Oh, white horses. He went, James, man, I swear, James, I'm with you. I'm riding with you. You know I want this film to be big and I want it to come out. But your appetite, I went, Kwame, look, it's important we establish one thing. My appetite hasn't grown. It's always been huge. You just didn't see it earlier. I was behaving myself. <laughs> now, I'm on full swag. Kwame, come on. Can you imagine that scene? White horses. They 
shipped in white ground. The ground, they actually, that town was nothing like that. It was all black and dirty and white gravel. So uh, budget was uh, an issue for <laughs> for everyone else. <laughs> like, I was just like, hey, I need to make the film that's in my head. In order for us to all be sitting here today and enjoying it, I needed to obey my crazy. I needed to. I needed the massive long shots from Nat Love, or from um, Rufus Buck, at the back of the mansion, all the way down to Nat Love. I needed all of those things. The aerial shot of the standoff, what our brother Kwame was just talking about. I needed all of these. Um, all of these um, things. So I don't. When I'm creating, I don't really think about budget. It's an afterthought. With, to the chagrin of the studios, they'll. You know, I think it's good to be budget conscious. But it shouldn't stop your your creative process. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Idea, idea first, and then we can have the conversation second. And then also, you know, it doesn't help to have Jay Z in your backpack. You know those ones? Because if it gets too, if the conversation gets too hard, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is. <laughs> Handle that, hope. I got you. I got you. But I didn't even get to that. Netflix were just behind the movie the whole, the whole time, man. The whole, the whole time. Let's see if we can do a couple more questions. Yeah, let's see. Hello, uh, Palumi Akindude. I am creative talent development manager and aspiring filmmaker. Sorry. I need to stop saying aspiring. Not aspiring, you're a filmmaker. I'm a filmmaker. I just wanted to ask about your approach to like selecting your creative collaborators and like what you're looking for, like from above the line, you know, below the line, all your HODs, like what do you look for when you're kind of bringing them on board? I know you've been in the game a long time, but kind of nurturing those creative relationships and how to find the people that you feel vibe with you the most and understand your vision. Well, the last part of your question answers everything. Like you need people that vibe with you the most and understand your ambition. Like when you're you're speaking to HODs and stuff, you don't necessarily want them to... um, Obviously, you want everyone to be brilliant. Everyone has to be a for them to have the conversation with you. They're of a certain level anyway. So, what you're actually looking for is people who could read your um, personality and and dance with you on the dance floor of creativity, the most. Like, who's going to tango with you the best? And for the most part, especially if you're hiring like people of color and you want to give like black women and black men and and they're not going to have the same level of experience yeah. and so their the filmography isn't going to be as vast as their um, white counterparts because of racism. They couldn't get in the game and this and that. And that's just, what it, that's just what it is. It was just, you know, that's just the life and the world and the time we, we grew up in. So you want to get those partners that are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of swag <laughs> with you. Right, and and you see it immediately. Uh, uh, my costume designer, Antoinette Messon, who's a Jamaican Canadian, like she's a G, and she just understood it immediately. And there was this guy that I met prior to her. I met a bunch of costume designers, and there was this guy, and he almost had the gig. He had these illustrations, and he was dope, and his the, his the stuff wheeling. It was wicked, like all his images. And there was one image of Jim Beckwith. That was not to my taste, but th- remember, this is this is just in an interview, right? So it doesn't matter. Like everyone's gonna have one, and I went, yeah, that one of Jim. I imagine Jim Beckwith more, and he went, whoa, 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 no, no, no. Look, if you look back on the time, and then I went, he didn't understand what happened then. I went, <laughs> and when he finished, I was like, okay, all right, okay, uh huh, uh huh. The meeting was over. You want the person that's going to dance with you the best. You don't want someone that's going to be fighting you in an interview. Imagine when we got to set. This guy's going to be, a, you know, you end up in a, in a, or you may end up in a nightmare scenario. So it beca- it does become about personality. When you're choosing your first AD, your, f- your first assistant director is going to be riding with you from beginning to end, morning to evening. He's going to be the person speaking with you the most. Your first AD and your second second are going to be communicating with you more than your DP. Man, this is a personality thing. We ha- and also my process is levity. I crack jokes all the time. The the film we make is for the public. The making of the film is for you. So I do not have the time or patience to be away from my family, away from my son, and then be serious all the time. I'm cracking mad jokes. I'm putting a speaker on my video village. I'm blasting music out. If only I could show you outtakes. I'm blasting music out all over the set. 
as, as Regina King said, we, we had music playing in rehearsals. I've never had that before. I don't say action. You hear the music, start you start going, because I'm composing as I'm listening to the scene. So um, you want people who are going to dance with you. Who is your dance partner? Everyone's a dance partner. They're all different personalities. And then you have to kind of govern the whole thing. You want everyone to get along with each other. So you kind of do things along the way to bring everyone, um, everyone together. But for the most part, it's who's going to tango um, with you. It's not necessarily, I think if, you, if you're black, you can't really go, okay, well, how many films have you done? And you didn't, otherwise you no black person will get hired. Sorry, and how we did you justify somewhere. that to the studio? Like, was there any pushback on people that you selected that might not have had as much experience as they might have wanted? Netflix, you walk in, do you ever go to LA? I'm going. <laughs> when you go to LA, just go to that Netflix building. It's literally like carnival. <laughs> I swear, the only thing that's missing is when last you go to party. Like, everyone <laughs> is like, literally, blacks, Asians, think like our whole team was like mad. Uh, multicultural and Netflix like are champions of that of that uh, thing. I'm not saying it because the movies with Netflix. I'm, I'm like I'm doing the deal for my next movie. I'm like, oh, can I go anywhere? It's such an awesome time. Imagine the exec that manages the budget. The conversation we have, mm. Kwame Parker. Wait, he's a Jamaican Canadian. So imagine your exec that's looking after the budget. It's called like, Wham. <laughs> I'm like Kwame, man. I need white horses. <laughs> Tish is like a, it's like the most beautiful place. It's like making a movie in Oz. I swear to God, it's like making a movie movie in Oz. And the marketing team, Dana and Norell, I think you, you met them. Dana they are super dope. So you just, it's all also good to be in a in a studio that embraces everything about um, your personality as well. And that's what Netflix did. Let's just take two more. Yeah, I got all There's the time in the world. Down at the front, Imogen, and yeah. My stomach is doing the most. I'm trying to like be composed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to put beer food in it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Uh, I'm John Ogumiwa, uh, writer, director. Wicked. Um, Nigerian? Yeah, yeah. What's yeah. in the Apple? Ah, we're here. We day, we day, we day. We day, we day, we day. Um, day yeah, obviously the cast is like, yeah. like top shellers. Yeah. And Say the, the what design? The cast. Yeah. The cast are like top shellers. You had so many like really, really kind of pivotal and like, important and like powerful actors. And yeah. I feel like as a director, obviously, What's that kind of like, not in terms of egos of what they're like offset, but in terms of kind of their energies and like, how did you kind of manage that? Because you have so many, like obviously you've got Idris, you've got Regina King, mm -hmm. you've got so many other kind of, Dion, like even like how you introduced Dion Cole, you've got so many like big, big yeah. kind of actors and like, what's that like in terms of, is it like, oh, do you let them go do their thing? Obviously you're directors, you're not going to let them go off, but yeah. how do you, what, what was that experience kind of like in terms of, managing that um, yeah. and was there a lot of stuff was just like let them kind of go or yeah it's interesting Rat Ratman um, asked me the same question um, the other day is it and what he said was like A-list actors mm. and I told him there is no such thing as, as an A-list actor when you're making a, when you're making a movie you're making a movie there's no big actors or small actors everyone's there. also like you find a lot of times the bigger the actor the more okay Idris was around my house every single evening right because I'm always making music, right? You know, he's just a musician. So he'll be around my house every evening. The next day he's on set, it's Rufus Buck. I do not even recognize him. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, the energy of this dude. He's just a Rufus Buck type. When you're hearing um, uh, State Church Mary when she first comes on, one, get that horse in a wagon, two, the one, two, is me and Idris doing BVs in, the, in my kitchen, right? So, like, because I was recording as, I, as I'm filming. When you're on set, there's no such thing as an A-list or B-list or C-list. There's nothing. There's just filmmakers. Every single person, even a person working in catering, is a filmmaker. Every single person is there to make a film and tell a story. So, and, and your brain is there to um, almost like shepherd everyone toward this vision as, as the director. And everyone is looking to you for, not necessarily leadership, but everyone is looking to you for direction. To, to to bring everyone to the glory land of this vision. So you can't afford at any time to be thinking, oh, it's this person, that person. But the more experienced the actor, the more they can give you tips. Like, pardon me, Regina King had just shot her movie One Night in Miami. She literally was in post-production while 
we were on set. So she'll be telling me things to look out for because I'm now making my debut feature film in COVID. She'll be telling me things to look out for and keep an eye on this department and that department could fall apart if you don't, blah, blah. Or James, you might want to encourage them, give them some encouragement there. So we'll be, we'll be having that. And then Idris had just directed Yardi a couple of years ago. So Idris was fresh off the direction um, blocks. It's like I had my, my Cagney and Lacey, Starsky and Hutch, my swag pack uh, with me. But there was no egos with regards to, there was no clashes, no ego. Everyone's there to do, to do a job and, and, and to, or to tell a story, not necessarily a job. And not that there isn't ego on sets mm. and not that, that there isn't um thing, but I do think that a lot of it starts with, a lot of it does start with the director, right? And I have fun all the time. Like my brain is cracking jokes. So even when I'm shooting a really serious scene, mm. My brain is cracking jokes. It's just like being in being in the hood. It's a pure comedy. As much as things are dramatic and violent, mm. right where we grew up and just in our experiences, there's still comedy elements to them in the most dire scenarios. So I'm always we're in a worldwide pandemic, right? So I'm always trying to find humor and stuff. And I think because I was like that, then everyone else mm. was. We had COVID police, right? COVID police that keep you six feet away from each other. If you pull down your mask to drink, put your mask back on and go somewhere else to drink. I can't direct a movie under these circumstances. So I had lookouts. <laughs> the tish was Kilburn Lane. I had lookouts and you'd hear on the walkies. I'd be eating, or my mask would be off, doing something I shouldn't be doing, having a conversation with Driss and you'll hear over the walk, like literally person to person to person. Yo, 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 J, 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 5-0, 5-0. call them 5-0. <laughs> I mean, it'd just be like, and you just see our mask, um, <laughs> right? Because we're eating, so because we're eating, right? So you have to, you just have to find a way to inject your personality in, in a, in everything, and you be, you be all right. But you can't really look at people like uh, big actors, small actors. Everyone's big actors. Everyone's, you know what I mean? Did you have a challenge in terms of like performance and? Did you, how did you overcome that? Because everyone's quite big, or was it talented people super easy? No, well, everything's a challenge. Like you're, it's everything's discovery. So, so you're you're just working with with people, and then you find things that work, you find things that don't work, and you, you know, you find things that um that, it, that that's just the process. I'll have my scripts, then we'll have like read throughs. We didn't get a chance to do a table read the day we was doing the table read. We got shut down with COVID, but I'll have read throughs. I'll I'll call actors and have them read lines back to me and I'll tweak it around their things or in rehearsals. So everything's a challenge, but it's a beautiful challenge. Challenge doesn't mean struggle, right? Challenge is not a negative word. Challenge is literally just for you to make the necessary tweaks to get it um, to get it better. So you're having these um, these things all the time with everyone, but it's, it's they're all dope. Yeah, they're beautiful, beautiful things. My brother. Yeah, um, Didi Armstrong, author, writer, playwright, international educator as like well. Like a G, this guy's <laughs> just <laughs> hyphen, hyphen, hyphen. <laughs> yeah. Chef. So, um, <laughs> oh yeah, West London God as well. You yeah, get yeah, me? Yeah, so there yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> Peace to the GLD. Yeah, no, the question I wanted to ask is, all your characters are based on the historical figures, yeah. you know? I wanted to know um, what was the drive in that decision, not just making them fictional characters, and also, did you come up against any obstacles in doing that? Yeah, no, um, the, the reason why I made them all real characters that really existed, because that was my frustration with Westerns, right? When you look at Westerns, if you're a woman of any color, you're subservient in those storylines. I love Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood, uh, Gene Hackman, Richard Harris. is a wicked film. Every single female character in that movie is a prostitute, right? Um, uh, if you're a person of, of color, of any color, you're treated less than human and, um, and subservient will be a compliment to, to how, how they treat you in the, in, with regards to the story. Wyatt Earp died in 1929. 1929. My grandma was alive in 1929. Uh, Gunfight at the OK Corral, Tombstone was 1881. So it was decades of the Old West, post-slavery, but even in slavery, one in four cowboys was black, right? Cowboys was a name given to black people. Cow hands was uh, what white folks were called, right? But Hollywood just, I haven't reimagined the rest of them. Hollywood reimagined it. They removed all women from the storyline, which is BS. They, re like, you remove all women from, imagine removing women, uh, women's personality from a genre. 
That's like having a Bugatti with three wheels. Like it doesn't make it's now the worst car on the planet. So for me, not only did I want to put people of color and women that were bosses in a in the in the movie and in the story to dead all conversation about us not existing in that time, I made every single one of those characters based on a real person that really existed. Because a lot of people that used to um, uh, tell me we didn't exist were black people. Mm. When I cast Erica Badu as Stagecoach Mary in They Die By Dawn in my short film, black people were telling me that Stagecoach, there's no such lady as Stagecoach Mary. So I made them all all uh, real characters, but it's not a bio, it's not a biopic, so I wasn't mm. necessarily looking for name name and like, likeness. Then you do get, I, I mean, I don't get obstacles in doing it, but you do get like people afterwards, which is a great thing. Like people say, oh, Stagecoach Mary didn't look like Zarsi Beats, she was a black lady, which is a funny thing to me that Zarsi Beats will get isolated. Because mm. Rufus Buck was light-skinned and biracial. So was Cherokee Bill, so was Jim Beckwith. But no one speaks about those characters. They jumped to, jumped to um, Zarsi. Rufus Buck got killed at 18 years old. Mm. He was hanged, hanged. Idris Elba is many things, but he's not biracial or 18. Mm. Right, it's not a biopic. It's yeah. just that it's but but what they're doing those conversations are amazing conversations. I hate when people say and woke Twitter. There's no such thing as woke Twitter. Mm. It's just black people, man, that just want to be heard, right? And that's all we've ever wanted to be wanted um, to be done. So when people are putting real images of State Church Mary up, I'm like, this is amazing. I wish I had you 20 years ago. You didn't exist. And I wish I had you when I made They Die by Dawn. You didn't exist. Mm. But now. Everyone's putting real pictures up of these characters, and that's all I wanted. So Hollywood would know that we existed and would stop erasing us from yeah. this, this Well, You this know genre. what is well, another reason I just want to thank you is because a couple of years ago, Ridley Scott brought out um, Kings and, oh and Gods. God. Exodus. And that really infuriated me that he was making this big budget thing, and there was no like, you're talking about like Egypt, Africa, yeah. and the whole cast was white. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? And his answer to it was that if, oh, it, if I cast Mohammed so and so, yeah, I wouldn't get the film funded. It was the most racist comment. I'm not saying really Scott is right, I'm just saying that was the most tone deaf racist comment I could ever read. Mohammed so and so, so that's why you just erase people from you're making a movie about Egypt and there's no blacks in there, like that it almost brings tears, yeah, definitely. So, but this isn't you know, like for me, we can't critique, we have to create. We can't complain. We have to contribute. Like, if we don't do anything about it, because the worst thing we want to do is be like bedroom critics mm. when God gave us drive. God gave us the airplane. No, that's why I wanted to thank you, because for me, the harder they fall, it steps out of the narratives that we're used to seeing. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So you've taken like sure. this amazing cast, and you said, nah, I'm not going to do it in a genre that everyone's expecting. I'm going to put it over there. And step it into somewhere else, and you've done amazing things to it. So I just thank like you, to bro. say thank you, bro. Thank you, King. Thank you. Okay. I know. I know you guys probably have to, to go. So to, yeah. let's take a couple more, and then we'll. Then we'll here, yeah. Okay. Yeah, any. Any. Anyway. One guy here. Lady over there. Oh, my brother at the back. <laughs> hey, I, I'm gonna keep the answer really quick. Nah. Cool. I think this is a quick, uh, quick question. I'm a Questy writer director um, from London. So you, you created a film in a, a universe that a lot of us didn't know existed. Uh -huh. um, I know you probably can't say exactly what you're going to be working on next, but what genres are you looking to tap into moving forward? And can you can you give us an inkling as to what's going to be in the, in the James the Samuels universe? We want the tea. Watch this. I, I'll say this. Firstly, I'll tap into every genre. I love Westerns, though, so I'm going to... I'm I'll always be yeah. messing around in, in Westerns. I love them too much. But when you learn of my next film, you're going to do this. No way. <laughs> the, the genre is no way. Right, I'm sick. like, yes way, Negro. <laughs> see, thanks. Well, bro. See, that one was a short one. See, I'm, well I'm learning done. now. Well like done, well you know what I mean? Hi, my name is Stephanie Boating. Um, I do, hi. Hey, hey, <laughs> um, do film directing and also uh, producing and editing. So okay. basically, my question is about um, to do with the production process and um, just... I'll try and like condense it. Essentially, currently I'm working on uh, a feature film. I've done a proof of concept, shot it in Ghana. And right now it's just kind of like shopping it around, seeing what production companies and people have been interested, like looking at the network and trying to leverage that. A lot of people have shown interest, 
but I kind of want to go from the, s the stage of showing interest to actually putting the money down. And I think when people look at it, they think, okay, it was in Ghana. They don't, they don't really have maybe the same, obviously they don't have the same vision I do, but they also feel like it's a big risk factor. So mm -hmm. even though the concept is there, solid script, etc., things are like, you know, settled down there. It's kind of like getting that funding and getting a production team to come up to be a part of the the vision, which is something new. And obviously, what, like what you've done is is completely different to what we've seen. So same way, how do you kind of get them from saying, okay, yeah, this is cool, this is cool, and to actually just putting down the money essentially and coming on as a a, a team? Good question. Um, you have to make like Marlon Brando and make them an offer they can't refuse, right? So for me, it was ab about assembling your elite sniper squad. If you keep pushing the door, right, and it's not opening, try pulling it. Go backwards, go sideways, start speaking to cast and actors, right? Dope actors, and do not seal in yourself, right? So speak to big actors, just get hold of them. They Die By Dawn, I funded myself, but in it was Michael K. Williams, Erica Badu, Rosario Dawson, Jesse Williams, uh, Isaiah Washington, Roger Gwynn-Vesman, Giancarlo Esposito, pure G's. And I had done nothing before. Not that they could see, right? But I'll just go, I remember sitting in Erica's house. And she was like, so how do you know I could be a, a cowboy? I'm like, I'm sitting in front of you, I've been watching you be a cowboy for 100 years. You're doing this short. If you're going to like uh, studios or production companies and they're not seeing it, I'll say package it more first. And package it in any way you can. Look at the music and, and who you can bring on musically. And then look at other actors and there's always a way. You know like when people don't want to fund something? For me, a lot of times, they're just getting out of the way. As Puffy once said, why don't you just get out of the way and let me be great, right? So, so I don't mind if you're going to say no. Just don't give me a lingering maybe so I can move on quick to someone else. Trust me, I had 10 years of that. Like 15 years that I had the idea, but 10 years putting it together. So I had a good 10 years of that, Tish. That shouldn't um, deter you. Just keep moving and assembling. It's like Lego. What happens if no? If you've got it and no one's coming on board, the shape just ain't right yet. But nothing's going to stop you doing that. Literally, the only thing that's going to stop that production from being greenlit is you. I would have shot the Harder They Fall on iPhones. No joke. When Robert Rodriguez made El Mariachi, his first film on 16mm, there was this whole thing about he sold his blood to get the thing. If Robert Rodriguez came around today, El Mariachi would have been shot on an iPhone. There's a film called Tangerine, which is on the Academy Award website. That film is wicked. That was shot on an iPhone 4. Why not iPhone 13? iPhones do not change now. They sell you the same trashy phone every year. However, you know what changes on them phones? The lenses. iPhones are ridiculous devices, and all you need to do is record your sound separately. Literally, as soon as you're just keep in answer to your question, just keep adjusting, keep tweaking. Like, start assembling the team and the package. Make like your movie is funded before it's funded. And when you're speaking to actors and when you're speaking to your other, like, HODs and uh, musicians and stuff for the, for the soundtrack or the score or whatever, and aim high. They'll believe in it. If you do, they'll believe it. And before you know it, you have, like, a Jay-Z on board. You have a Idris Elba on board. You have a, you know what I mean? That's how things get done. I, I, I'll conclude this soliloquy with this sentence. And you have to really, truly do this. Before anyone greenlights you, you have to greenlight yourself. You know what I mean? I hope that answered your question, Queen. Okay, I think there was one more, but that will have to be it. And then you guys have to catch James before. I think it was knee at the back. Oh, no? It was, yeah, it was knee. Hey there, how you doing? Uh, Arte Evans, filmmaker and voice actor. I uh, just want to thank you and congratulate you on an amazing film. Thank you, The bro. question that I want to ask is, what's the biggest lesson that you learned from making They Die, they Die By Dawn that you brought into making They Harder They Fall? The, the Harder They Fall? That's a wicked question. I think the... Okay. The biggest lesson that I learned in... Is this the last question? I was recording Jay Electronica's album in South Africa, right? Jay Elec, when he first signed to Rock Nation, he wanted to, he wanted all the producers. He flew like 25 people from America into South Africa and then flew like 10 people from England to South Africa and they were all like in South Africa and this is one big South African excursion. 
I was kind of irritated. I love my brother Jay. He's one of my best friends on the planet, so I can say this out loud. I was kind of irritated. I didn't want to go to Africa to make Jay Electronica's album because I'm African. I don't need to make that statement, like, back to Africa. Man, back to Africa. I never left. So, so I remember being in this studio and all the Americans were coming, right? There's 25 people on that plane. They were coming in. And I knew that tomorrow when everyone's there, everyone's going to get have to get over the psychological hurdle of beginning to record, starting to record. So as soon as I landed and I got to that studio first, I broke my recording virginity, right? Like, I'm recording immediately. Set up, bring the engineer in. So by the time they all landed and got to South Africa, I was already old school in that studio. I knew my way around it, this and that and the other, and I didn't have to warm up. And also, now my creative juices are flowing. I'm on a run, right? Which is why I kept ahead of every every other person I ended up uh, making his album like no one else from that sect was 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 on it right at the time the the configuration of the album that was then similarly when I made they die by dawn I actually broke my western virginity so when it came time to making harder they fall I'd already shot a western this is not a new world for me I've been on set I've been around the horses this that and the other so really in truth the only thing I learned from making They Die by Dawn is, I am a black god. Amen, amen. I swear, like, from Kilburn Lane to They Die by Dawn, being on set with all of those, with all of those actors, I was looking around like, I'm a G. No one could tell me nothing ever again, and no one could tell me I can't make the harder they fall, because I, I just made They Die by Dawn. Then you learn other things, like, wow, man, some actors are allergic to horses. It's really silly things you learn. Like, some actors are, are allergic to horses. Right, some actors like they, you know, just, the horses are huge, huge creatures. It's just things like it's really it was it was really things like that. But the fun thing, it's not what you learn about production or anything like that. Really, it's what you learn about yourself, especially when you make something like a western as your first film and your first big short. They died by only fifty-one minutes long. That's a long, short film. 20 minutes later, I remember Michael K. Williams, God rest his soul, said, yo, James, man, put 30 minutes on, we just go back, shoot another 30 minutes, and and that's our movie, like, it's theatrical. And I told Michael, man, They Die by Dawn's not the movie I want to, I want to, not the story I want to tell theatrically, not if I'm going to put black people in the Old West. When I bring black people to the Old West for feature film, there has to be bank robberies, train robberies, jail breaks, there has to be all of the things we're missing. I funded They Die By Dawn myself, so it's like a stage play. It's just dialogue, dialogue, dialogue with a little bit of action that I couldn't even choreograph. I needed to do it real big to give us that feeling. What brings us all here today, give us that feeling of what we've been missing our entire lives. If you don't like Westerns and you watch They Die By Dawn, you're not necessarily going to like Westerns. But people that don't like Westerns are watching The Harder They Fall in droves. Because it's not that you don't like Westerns. You like film. Film is film. You like stories. You just haven't been fed the nutrients of what you get fed in cinema from, from the Westerns that Hollywood's been giving you. You haven't been fed people that look like you. You haven't been fed women. How can you remove women? Like, it's such a ridiculous thing. You ain't been fed women who are bosses, who are Gs, like women in real life. You haven't been fed black people of any substance. You haven't been fed, like, all you've been fed is people put black people in a, in a period piece and call us nigger over 100 times. In one movie. That's just... As soon as we're in, in a period piece, you could just call us the N-word and treat us like like scum and it's kind of realistic to the time, which is BS. It's BS. Like, back in the slavery days, white folks didn't even use the word nigger as an insult. It wasn't an insult. It was just the title that they called those people. Oh, it's three... They didn't go, you... That's petition for EastEnders and Nick Cotton and all that. That's for the civil rights movement. That's for when black people wanted... It became an insult. It wasn't an insult. Uh, it was always insulting to us. But they weren't using it in the way that they use it in those films to insult us. And the way they give it an excuse, like, "Oh, that was the period." It was. It just. It just wasn't like literally. It was just making stuff up. Just making stuff up just to find different excuses. Call me the N word. I'm not even going to mention any any film in particular, but I'll end it like this: in those exact films, when they're saying it's realistic to the time, a couple scenes scenes later, they're showing the KKK. In those exact films, do you know when the KKK never existed? 
during slavery. They didn't have to. Why would the KKK exist if black people are slaves? I'm just saying, so I receive all this information from these movies, man, and quite frankly, it's sickening. They taught us where our ancestors were slaves. No one's ancestors were slaves. We were enslaved. There's a big difference. So when you teach someone that their ancestors were slaves, you're also teaching them that your ancestors owned them. My ancestors owned your people. Therefore, you're teaching these kids subservience. So we all grow up accepting these movies like Noah, where <laughs> there's no one of color, or accepting other movies where they call us the N-word a hundred times. And we don't really, like, it's just kind of we get on with it. But we shouldn't get on with it. We need to contribute and correct the narrative. We're not reimagining those times. We're just kind of like bringing balance to the force, like Yoda. <laughs> and on that note, yeah. <laughs> peace to the black gods and the kings and queens in the building. Um, thank you, Sugar Pie. I'm saying Sugar Pie. Thank you. <laughs> call, I just love him. call me Sugar Pie. Like well, hello. Yes, sugar, hello, Sugar Pie. No, but James, honestly, thank you thank so you. much for your time and for the film and thank your energy you. and your passion. And guys, I hope you got as much of it out of this as I did. Um, this is honourable for me and my platform, and it's just great being able to talk to people like you and just get inspired all day long. My sister. Yes, brother. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. We still um, got a long way to go. Use them iPhones, go. man, and get shooting. You know what I mean? Um, let's get some food and grab James before he goes, but you know, he's got to go soon. But yeah, there's some food out there. Mingle, chat, connect, please. That's the important thing. Connect. Wicked. Connect. Connect.